I'll say this. I hate when I have slow internet and I hate getting hostility from business computer guys. Uh, If you're sick and tired of yours and your network's not running properly, if he takes forever to call you back, are you paying the company good money to keep things working but you're still having constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues, does your head hurt from having to deal with all of this? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom at Heritage Digital, 843-664-8989. Heritage is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your network runs correctly all the time. It's for one low monthly fee. Uh, I know that When I've done this before, one low monthly fee is great. With clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So please call my friend Matthew Odom of Heritage today, 843-664-8989. That's 843-664-8989 or heritagedigital.com and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and for all. This portion of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by Heritage Digital. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Come on, come on. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Thursday, Prediction Thursday. Uh, That's right, here during the season. Thursdays before every Saturday game. All the games are currently scheduled for Saturday. Uh, I'll be here with you and offering a breakdown, score prediction, uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, give you my take on a couple of other games uh, of interest, and certainly there is a game of interest this weekend uh, in the opening weekend up in Charlotte. Gamecock fans will be interested in, uh, and I'm going to sit here and uh, talk about it, just break it down um, on this specific episode, so you can expect uh, a podcast every Thursday, maybe around this time, maybe a little earlier. Uh, each and every week. Uh, and I want to thank Heritage Digital for, um, and that's the ad you heard at the beginning, for sponsoring uh, this first part uh, of the podcast, the news and notes segment. Uh, and then today we're going to, because it's prediction Thursday, we're going to go into the mailbag next uh, and then end it with the predictions. So that's uh, that's kind of a three-parter uh, here today uh, on the Inside the Game Guys podcast. Thank you, every one of you, for tuning in, by the way. Uh, we've had great numbers race recently. This thing's really blown up. Uh, got some exciting things coming down the pipe with it. So uh, I'm fired up uh, about the podcast and doing it and talking to you guys every single day. Not a whole lot in the way of news and notes uh, or discussion points out there. Uh, I did. Uh, you guys have seen the Bishop Sycamore story. <laughs> I, I can't believe somebody just made up a school. Uh, to have a football team. I've seen stuff like this. And, you know, when you kind of talk to some, not all, some of the people that have these ideas that that want to get involved with, you know, quote, unquote, helping kids get to college uh, through football, uh, you know, some really, this doesn't surprise you if you've known some folks I do. Some folks get a bad rep uh, out there. Seven, a lot of seven-on-seven seven coaches do. 
uh, and they actually really do help kids. Uh, I know several of them that a lot of folks don't, you know, care for, or they think that they're in it for themselves and they have tangible evidence of helping players uh, get to the next level. And you, you trust those guys, but then sometimes these fly by night people, you know, you're just like, what are you thinking? And the more you read about the story, uh, the crazier it gets, the more you, you understand these, these people are simply criminals. Uh, and uh, the one of the guys who, I guess he's the athletic editor, Andre Peterson, was quoted the other day saying, well, I, my son played. Well, you're doing your son a disservice. Because now every one of these kids, when they hear Bishop Sycamore, colleges are going to run or they're not going to waste their time because you're going to have transcript issues, eligibility issues. You know, there's a microscope on that thing right now. Uh, and, and then player health and safety is something that a lot of people talk about and preach. And my goodness, you know, you, two games in three days, nobody plays football like that. Um, you know, probably there are some like, I guess, junior varsity high school players that get some snaps in the JV game Thursday night. Maybe they get on the varsity Friday, but it's normally not like that, you know, so I just, uh, in my opinion, you know, this is just something that's very, very bad. Uh, and w- with the changing tides in college sports, with NIL, the transfer portal, things like that, you know, you, you got enough worry about how the game's changing. You know, and, and I sit here, I love recruiting. Uh, that's a passion of mine. Uh, I think about the job being on the road and all the great players and people uh, that I've met and saw and covered over the years, uh, the people in the industry, uh, by and large, that do the job I've done. And I'm talking, you know, rivals, ESPN, 24-7 Sports, now own three is in there. A lot of friends all over the place in this business uh, are good people that work hard. You know, and I know you may not like the way they rank, and I don't, quite frankly, sometimes like the way folks rank. Uh, I really have a problem with, like, the – traditional college football media and their jobs to cover teams and, and break down the actual reality of the sport right now, real, real big problem with them just assuming, uh, you know, because the guys are star rated that, that they have all this talent and all that. I, I'll get into all that later though. Um, in another episode, because there are several reasons why that's the case. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the program in Tuscaloosa. Uh, just to be honest with you, uh, you talk about sucking the oxygen out of the room. Uh, we're living through the greatest dynasty uh, in the history of the sport, in my opinion, um, at Alabama with Nick Saban. So it's a, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, there's reasons why things have gotten a little cattywampus, <laughs> I guess, when you're talking about recruiting meets reality. You know, and recruiting is reality. There, there's no question about it. Uh, but when you don't give any players any leeway um, and you sit there and, you know, you act shocked when a three-star guy ends up giving a first-round draft pick and you, you call it a overcoming the odd success story, you're not living in reality. Because the reality is, you know, about half the first rounders every single year are three star guys or below. Yeah, so you're you're just not living. You're, you're on Mars. You're, you're stuck four years ago, and and that drives me crazy. Not the guys that actually do the rankings, uh, who I know most of them. I know a lot of the guys in the mainstream college football media, and not all of them do that. 
you know, there, there's guys, I, I think Bruce Feldman, for example, uh, gives a nod to recruiting and he's knowledgeable enough about it, you know, to where he doesn't let it overwhelm. Um, and he doesn't let it drive a, a false narrative. Josh Pate does not let a false narrative get driven. You know, the, the Andy Staples is a guy like that. I'll, I'll just throw off those names. If I didn't mention your name or, or a name, that doesn't mean I think that <laughs> you do that. Those are not exclusive, but a lot of folks do. I see all these articles all the time uh, talking about citing the 24-7 sports talent composite, which is completely based on high school rankings or, or JUCO rankings or whatever. For example, uh, you know, if you look at South Carolina's, let's say, you know, when J.C. Horn and Javon Kinlaw, or let's look at separate years, 2019 and 2020. Um, six and 16 combined record, by the way, with those groups. But when you're, you're talking about South Carolina's 24-7 sports composite ranking or talent uh, tracker or whatever they call it, you know, Javon Kinlaw was a first-round pick on the 2019 defense. Shouldn't should he not have been, you know, a five-star guy? If you're if you're talking about reality, and yes, he should have. But as far as when you're evaluating South Carolina's roster, you know that grade from two or three years ago stuck with Javon Kinlaw. Um, and so, uh, you know that that stuff's curious. J.C. Horn, you know, would not have been at the top of South Carolina's roster. Uh, and so I, I, you know, with that, you know, I, I think that's part of what's, you know, driving a lot of this is because the the narrative pushed by the media is not based in reality. Therefore, it's probably not that hard to go out there and uh, and and have a quote unquote high school football program that's not based in reality, you know. Um, and it's not that simple, folks. It's not that simple. It's not just about hype. Uh, it's not just about getting your name out. A lot of people think that they're, you know, well, I've got this great player. He just needs exposure to get his name out. And you look and they're not that great, you know, lucky to get a D2 offer, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but I mentioned the Bishop Sycamore thing because of this. You guys remember Mikos Todd from, I think, Carrollton, Georgia, who committed to South Carolina as a rising junior. He was committed for a minute after camping. Uh, and then – I wasn't going to qualify. Gamecocks ended up dropping him, ended up going to junior college, which is weird. And now he's on the roster at Bishop Sycamore as a 2022 prospect. I feel really bad for the kid. Not a bad kid. Didn't have grades, went to JUCO, things didn't work out. Now he's in Columbus, Ohio, and, and every piece of information out there is wrong on him. His clock has already started for college because he was in JUCO. So I, I don't know who these people are. I hope, I honest to God, hope justice is served, you know, and, and, and whatever crimes they've committed, they end up in jail that they're banned from dealing with young people ever again. You know, this is, this is a charlatan type situation. Um, but I mentioned it because of the Miko's Todd angle. I, I was reading an article in the athletic about the whole thing and uh, there's Miko's Todd. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, there's a Gamecock connection there. So uh, anyway, that's a that's one news and note. Uh, the other news and note we have uh, are other. There's several news and notes. Gamecocks have quite a bit of uh, so switching back to like regular recruiting talk. Gamecocks have quite a bit of visitors uh, coming in for this game, which I think is outstanding for a 
an opener against an FCS football team first weekend of the season. Uh, Helmer Granahan reported some guys. I'm just going to go through them and talk. Um, Edge Brian Thomas Jr., he is supposed to commit on Labor Day Monday. Uh, he is on commit watch. My crystal ball says Gamecocks. Dad played in the NFL. He's 6'3", 220. Uh, with him, it's going to be the ability to put on weight, put on bulk, and maintain his explosiveness because he's a heck of a pass rusher. Uh, but, you know, when you're looking at prospects, weight is the one thing that, that's a little tricky to evaluate. You know, and again, uh, those national media members that want time to freeze when players are recruits and everything to fit in there like Xbox and, and, and rock and roll, you know, they're probably going to look at a, you know, 217-pound in and, and go, you know, well, well, those guys become 250. 260. Uh, it's much more about frame than weight. On the opposite end of it, when you like you're dealing with a defensive tackle or an offensive lineman, you don't want those guys to be too big. You know, if a kid's 330 in high school, uh, he could be 350, 360 and, and lose all movement uh once he gets to college. So uh wanted to mention that. Don't worry about Thomas's weight. Uh, he is a guy that's gonna have to develop though. Uh, but he's got the, the, the raw skill set and all that good stuff, uh, I think, to be a good one uh, in time at South Carolina. This next player is a player I love, linebacker Tyler Banks. He uh, He's from a little town called Crew, Virginia. Crystal Ball is on Virginia Tech right now. This is his visit to South Carolina, 6'3", 225. Watch his film, folks. As a linebacker, you know, th this is the type of kid that, you know, it's not surprised to me the Hokies are in on him with the Fuente staff because they, they're kind of what I call recruiting scavengers at Virginia Tech these days. Under Frank Beamer, you know, they would go get guys like this, but they would evaluate him uh, beforehand. I have no idea why he's rated at 85. I mean, at the, at the least, when you watch him on film, he's a mid-three-star, mid high-three-star kid. Maybe the right teams didn't offer him, but he's got Michigan. He visited them officially, visited Vandy, Virginia Tech, Cal, and Cal. But uh, Tyler Banks is coming to town, unofficial visit. He also visited Ole Miss. Uh, Gamecocks have, an offer, ha have had an offer on the table since July 12th, so they weren't like early to the party. This is big for him because if you can get, get in with him, start talking to him, show him what Carolina's all about, you can go steal one. Uh, I think, you know, just, just looking at it. So Banks, one of my favorite recruits uh, out there. Uh, and then, of course, Stone Blanton, another linebacker from Mississippi. Uh, I thought it was big that he was showing up unofficially, paying his own way for the, the home opener. It also kind of tells me maybe Stone's about ready to shut it down. Um, been to Mississippi State, seen everything, been to Texas A&M. They, they may be full. You know, go get a look at South Carolina. That was a great official visit that he had over the summer. Uh, Clayton White's recruiting him, Shane Beamer, those guys. Uh, and really curious to see. Still technically committed to Mississippi State for baseball. Don't know what football is doing with him. Uh, but Crystal Ball is still on the Bulldogs. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the Gamecocks have a shot uh, to swipe one here. Deuce Spurlock from Madison, Alabama. Uh, projects as a linebacker. He was gonna gonna commit. He's from Madison, Alabama. Michigan's right there, uh, but he's visiting. Um, 
South Carolina unofficially. Uh, and that's another good thing. That's another, you know, a guy they offered August 1st. So they're in there kind of late, but you watch this film, really good, versatile guy. Can't go wrong with Alabama kids. Uh, Felix Hickson, who's committed to the Gamecocks, speaking of underrated, he's coming in, defensive tackle from Jackson, Georgia. Demetrius Watson from Fort Dorchester, heavy lean to the Gamecocks, still says he's announcing after his season. Kyla Horton committed to the Gamecocks, wide receivers coming in. 2023, uh, Marquis Anderson from Dorman, uh, is coming in, and it was kind of weird because Marky Anderson gave an interview with one of the sites and named a top three that didn't include the Gamecocks, yet he keeps visiting. Gamecocks don't have a lot of history at Dorman. It's a Clemson place or a Clemson-oriented school. They tend to like their kids to go there. Uh, sometimes they'll go outside. I, I don't know that South Carolina, um, before Bobby Bentley – uh, came with Muschamp, you know, Steve Spurrier Jr. had that school or whoever. I don't know that they recruited Dorman all that well. Uh, you know, J.J. Arcee, Whiteside was a player that Carolina certainly could have used, no doubt. Kind of came in late, sniffed around. By then he was going to Stanford. Um, so, so I think there's been a number of, of reasons. But, you know, no, make no mistake, I mean, they're, they're big fans of, of Clemson <laughs> at that school. Clemson has not offered marquee. They are recruiting him. And so, you know, if they don't end up pulling the trigger on him, can the Gamecocks get him? I, I think so. But, you know, what, what was up with that uh, interview, you know, where he named a top three that didn't include Carolina. So, or unless people, I think North Carolina was in the top three, unless when he said Carolina, you know, the Tar Heel reporter maybe thought that. I, I don't know for sure that it was a Tar Heel guy, though, that did it. Uh, two two guys from Lake City, Florida, Trey Tolliver, wide receiver. Go watch his film, 2023. Really, really good. Not sure about getting him out of Florida right now. Ike Daniels, uh, a running back is in coming in. Jaden Robinson, Tolliver's teammates coming in. Uh, Ike is from Stafford, Virginia. Uh, Mountain View High School, pretty good player per 24-7 sports composite as top 250 prospect. Uh, Arizona State, Michigan State, Penn State, Pittsburgh, South Carolina, uh, but really good player. So we'll see Ike Daniels coming in. And then Jack Larson is scheduled to come in from Charlotte Catholic, a 2024 tight end. NC State, North Carolina, South Carolina are his three early verbal offers. Uh, so really, I mean, you know, games like this where they're not you know, not playing a big-time opponent in a, and it's a season opener, Labor Day weekend, historically it's been a little tricky getting players to come in. And you look, they got a kid from Virginia's coming, a uh, kid from Alabama, a kid from Mississippi, so a kid from Lake City, two kids from Lake City, Florida. So South Carolina really, if you think about it, you know, has done a pretty good job. Uh, with the visitors list this weekend. I expect a crowd probably of around 65,000. Uh, keep in mind, the stadium only seats 77 now because they took some seats out. Um, you know, but I expect a good crowd. Maybe the walk-up crowd will be a little better, too. In terms of, oh, sorry, yawn hit me. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, in terms of, you know, what what can happen there. Uh, with the crowd. I, I think it'll look good on TV. I think it'll be loud, that kind of thing. 
And it's a night game. Everybody likes a night game, right? So, right. All right. There's the news and notes segment. Thank you again, Heritage Digital, for sponsoring that. And we go straight to the mailbag. I know you're like, well, the mailbag, this is early. Um, the iHelp Consulting mailbag, as it is. Uh, and I want to tell you about iHelp Consulting here because these guys are fantastic. If you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. That's where iHelp Consulting can help you. iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. So whether you think you may be paying too much for credit card processing, internet service providers, uh, insurance, anything else, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And that's very important too. You don't want some fly-by-night uh, Bishop Sycamore uh, of credit card processing handling your customer's vital information, right? You don't want the Bishop Sycamore uh, service. You want the top-of-the-line service. And that's how iHelp Consulting can help you. So you get the discount and you get quality, right? You can get dollar store prices without having to go and get dollar store quality. Uh, if you just please uh, give Daniel Owens, my friend at iHelp, a call at 843-372-5713 or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. Not only is the consultation free, folks, but if Daniel can't help your business, he'll just gonna be he's just gonna be honest to you. You don't have to pay him anything. Wow, how about that? So there's no risk. I know many of you are business owners. I know. Uh, if you're like me, you're kind of a creature of habit. Uh, oh, consulting. We may have to change credit card price. I don't know. That's a hassle. Don't worry about it. It's all about the bottom line and your profit. And Daniel can help you do it and guide you through the process, do everything for you. That's why you you know, got to give him a call. 843-372-5713. Please tell him JC sent you. I help consulting. How can I help you? So now it's time for the... I help consulting mailbag. Now there's two ways you can get in the mailbag. And I say this over and over and over again. Um, the first way is follow this podcast on Twitter at the big spur pod. Uh, I've noticed since I've been talking about that a lot, uh, followers have gone up. We're building the Twitter account and it gives you a chance to go in and, you know, sort of look at it. Uh, and look at the, the content on Twitter and also Instagram at inside the Gamecocks is the handle on Instagram. Lots of good content there too. It's worth an Instagram follow. In my opinion, it's only going to get even better. So you can, you can follow the Twitter account and then you tweet at the big spur pod uh, on Twitter. And we read each and every one of them and answer. Them. So here we go. First one is from Gamecock pundit. He said, JC, you were talking about Sidney Rice on a previous podcast and stated Spurrier didn't have anyone like that at Florida. What about Chris Doring? The only similarities between Chris Doring and Sidney Rice to me uh, were that Chris Doring was relatively tall. Uh, nobody at Florida, they weren't throwing the jump balls and stuff at Florida. It was route running and fast guys. Doring was really fast uh, or looked fast because he was such a great route runner and had such a great set of hands. Um, Spurrier didn't have anybody at Florida like Rice or like Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, and he talked about it. So, uh, Doring was tall, but I just don't. And we talked to Chris on the JC Morgan podcast over the summer. I just don't think that they're similar players. Uh, 
you know, Sidney Rice was like a small forward out there, you know. And then when he got in the open field, he was elusively quick and elusively fast. He was a great player, uh, great player in South Carolina. And he only played two seasons because he redshirted, then he played two and went pro. Uh, had Sidney had maybe one more season with Spurrier in that offense, I mean, shoot, shoot. So uh, he, he may have had a bunch of uh, – bunch of records but you know and and Dory was tall and all that but I, I just it was a different you know people talk about the differences between Spurrier at Florida and Spurrier at South Carolina um, and there were a lot and the one was he kind of discovered you know hey these jump ball guys may not be as fast as Reed L. Anthony or Jacquez Green or Ike Hilliard but they're effective um, and he used you know, Rice and Jeffrey uh, both I, I think in my opinion, uh, they got a little too obsessed with that. Steve Spurrier Jr. did and started, you know, just offering every tall receiver out there. Some of those guys can't play dead in the movie or couldn't, we found out. Uh, but Rice and uh, Alshon uh, both uh, were big guys, and, and Rice certainly was the first real unique freak-type receiver, uh, I think, that Steve Spurrier had, South Carolina or Florida. Thanks so much, Gamecock Pundit. Uh, RCW the third rolls in with a question. This is a good one. JC, schematically, which former Gamecock offensive coordinator can fans expect Marcus Satterfield's offense to resemble the most? Hmm. <laughs> None. Because uh, I'm trying to think. It, you know, th th my guess is with this offense – is you're going to see some stuff where you where you do go, oh, well, that's kind of what LSU was running when Joe Brady was there, and that's what the Panthers run. Uh, and then there's going to be some stuff you go, well, that, that was probably Oklahoma. Uh, and then there's going to be a lot of it that I think will resemble a, uh, you know, a, a modern NFL offense like Kyle Shanahan's or somebody like that. And I'm talking about – I'm mentioning some very good offensive coordinators here that pile up yardage. I'm not making those guarantees because, you know, you, you got to have players and you got to have the ball bounce your way and you got to execute. And I mean, there's so much more that goes into it than just, Hey, these are great plays that work for this other guy. Um, I also think, you know, Ralph Friedgen, uh when he was at Maryland, you know, in Georgia tech, it, you know, those offenses were very multiple. They had pro elements, they had other elements that, you sort of never knew where they, what they were going to do. Um, and, and so I would probably go back to the fridge and say in terms of as far as the variety, when it's not like a five-wide million-mile-an-hour air raid or, or a Big 12-style offense, the variety that they had there uh, where they can beat you in a number of ways, that that's probably, you know, something I would roll in. Uh, you know, Matt Canada – uh, who was at Pitt the one year he was at Pitt, uh, did a masterful job calling an offense like this. I don't know what happened at LSU. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know that this is going to be, I, I think it's going to be a little more creative uh, and versatile than Matt Canada's attack, but uh, you know, those types of offenses, you know, it was mash them all together. But what it's going to be fundamentally is, uh, a modern pro style offense. You know, it's a pro style. 
that word gets used a lot or has. I've been on the record as saying you can't run a pro-style offense in South Carolina, but I said that 2014-ish, 2015-ish, 2016-ish, really before the pros started shifting um, and having these. I mean, you've, you've always had Sean Payton, who, by the way, went to Eastern Illinois, uh, and guys like that, but you really start looking at, at some of the offenses uh, in the NFL, you know, starting with, with Kyle Shanahan when he was with the Falcons, um, you know, uh, Sean McVay, you know, guys like that, you know, what Andy Reid is involved into. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, that, so pro style offense today means something different, but that's kind of what uh, it's going to look like. Uh, and, you know, you look back, Mike Bobo was a pro style guy. Uh, you know, they've probably been told there's some carryover there. Uh, Brian McClendon was more of a spread guy, to be honest, uh, tempo guy. Kurt Roper, more of a pro-style guy. And when I was said and done, heavy RPO, which never worked. Um, G.A. Mangus is not who called plays before Roper. Uh, Mangus is a hybrid of uh, the zone read run game, Rich Rod style, and um, – and the fun and gun from Florida, uh, that over the top of that, uh, you know, you, you think through the years, uh, go back to Brad Scott or Lou Holtz, you know, Skip Holtz is more of a spread guy uh, than this thing. Uh, Chuck Reedy was a pro style guy his last year at Carolina to Brad Scott. That was a disaster. Um, you know, John East and John Reeves were more, you know, fast, the quote unquote fast break. So I'm going back to the play callers uh, here under South Carolina. Um, uh, you know, that's South Carolina and, and Marcus Satterfield on paper is supposed to be different than, you know, anybody else. And that's, uh, you know, when you, when you're talking about on paper, uh, that's what I mean. You know, Kurt Roper on paper had a good plan, got in the games, couldn't do it. Brian McClendon on paper had, a big bunch of stuff um, and his actually feel for the game calling the plays was not bad. You know, what I think happened with him was some, some guys adjusted and then, you know, he couldn't counteract. He, he didn't have a, uh, Muschamp said he didn't have a second pitch and he didn't. Uh, Mike Bobo severely hamstrung by personnel. Uh, also, wasn't really uh, going to design any sort of plays within a game plan to where, you know, unproven personnel got a lot of opportunities. Uh, like I said yesterday, the idea was to shorten the game and play defense, but you're not playing defense. So I don't know what he was supposed to do. Uh, and then Satterfield, you know, Sat's, uh, you know, a bright young coach. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he's learned from some of the best. So, you know, we'll see ultimately – what happens, but I, I really, Rob, can't compare it to anything. I, I really just can't. I just, uh, you know, because I'm just not sure exactly, you know, what to think uh, in terms of what are they going to emphasize, de-emphasize, all that good stuff. So um, your guess is as good as mine as to what everybody will think, you know, uh, it looks like. Uh, I'll tell you this, I am feeling like all right, so there's there's one of two ways after Sats uh, Marcus Satterfield's questions or uh, time with the media the other day. There's you know there's there's two questions that come to mind. 
So he said, we're not in any position to hold anything back. We're going to be creative and do this, that, and the other. So, so, so your question becomes, is that uh, coach speak? Uh, is that gamesmanship? Uh, we're going to try to do this and then you don't, or, or is it, are they going to go out and be creative and uh, put a bunch on film for East Carolina and Georgia to start thinking about, you know, because there's always, there's two ways to look at it. And I, I'm of the opinion right now. Uh, and my, my predictions not going, my score prediction is probably not going to back this up. South Carolina needs to run it wide, wide open. Uh, and give people more, more to think about and attempt to score as many points as possible because nothing shuts people up like a dominant performance. I don't care who you're playing. Um, and, you know, you got there and you, you put a bunch on the board and everybody gets to play. They're happy. Uh, this team's going to feel a lot differently next week when they play East Carolina. Uh, thank you so much. Joe Sports Caller. Why are the national media acting like Zeb is the permanent starters to the next two games? Max, I mean, Josh Kendall on Feinbaum, for example. I didn't see Josh's segment on Feinbaum. Uh, there are people that sound like that's what they think. I would just – I don't think – there's no way Kendall does. Uh, I would just tell him to get educated. You know, that, that, that you, know, you, you look at it, oh, he's the starter. and Half the people probably don't even know Doty's hurt. Um, and, you know, recruiting rankings, all that, and, and then two transfers, and it's just sort of unprecedented, you know, what they've done in terms of, um, you know, pulling the shirt, the, the pulling the shirt, pulling the coaching shirt off of the grad assistant, putting shoulder pads on and letting him go. But, no, it's – it's look, Beamer wasn't going to talk about Doty and, oh, he's, it's his job when he gets back. Um Right now, because, I mean, you say that, and then it's like, okay, so Zeb Nolan's going to go out there and be like, oh, well, no matter what I do, I'm not going to play anymore after this week. And then, you know, Jason Brown's going to be like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm going to be third, and they need both those guys. Um, and I'm not saying Beamer was lying or Beamer was incorrect about that because uh, he was focused on Eastern Illinois, and they're focused on Zeb right now. Uh, but yeah, you have to, you know, it's our job to use common sense uh, and, and explore a little more, but nobody wants to do that. And, I, and I'll tell you this, people tend to believe sometimes that the, the national media has a bias against Carolina. I'll tell you this, I think they have a bias against programs they consider to be irrelevant. And the Gamecocks need some relevance. And that was an interesting story. <laughs> So they got a little pub for it, but, uh, you know, for the second straight year, nobody's talking about the Gamecocks. And so I, I think that, uh, I mean, shoot, I don't know if uh, game day will do a segment on it or not. I would if I were them, but uh, yeah. So yeah. And nobody's talking about that, but the same people that have that same kind of mindset uh, that believe the season's going to be doomed Saturday. Uh, also, you know, don't believe that Luke Doty's that good. And it's just a, it's just kind of a mess when you really kind of consider all the different narratives. But um, so anyway, thanks for your, your question there. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't know about the national media. I, um, you want relevance, right? In my opinion. And, uh, you know, when you don't win, 
and you don't have like a celebrity coach like before must champ and all that you know sometimes you kind of are obscure uh I, you know and here's the thing too i mean i rail rail on uh, some of the national media you know like i did earlier about recruiting and all that um because i just but, but i want to be clear that's that's more about like hype with other teams than anything to do with South Carolina. I, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and gripe and complain uh, because people aren't talking about the game cost because game guys haven't done anything to earn it yet. You know, um, now if they taking cheap shot, cheap, cheap shots at Shane Beamer because he's never been an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator, uh, you know, is wrong. Um, I think that taking cheap shots at Zeb Nolan is wrong and automatically discounting him because he was a graduate assistant uh, or, or he didn't do well at North Dakota State. I mean, look, maybe maybe Zeb is what he is and he's not much better and he just is kind of a Band-Aid to get him through. But you, that's not going to have anything to do with the fact he was a GA a couple of weeks ago, Okay. I mean, that, that's moronic, you know, let's, again, let's live in reality, you know, <laughs> too much in college football now is, is, and it's always been a sport that, you know, perception matters. It, perception matters because that's how you get players is you, you go recruit and perception helps you there. It, perception matters because we still use a rankings committee to get a 14 playoff when if it ever goes to 12. And I've got some thoughts about that too. I'm going to get into next week about these uh, ridiculous elitist uh, butthurt conference, the, the, the butthurt Alliance. Um, yeah. I, I think that's uh that's a, that's become a clown show. And, and, and if they try to block playoff expansion, they're just going to hurt themselves. Um, but that, that's a, that's a different topic because we got to get the predictions, but uh, you know, I, I'm never going to do it, but, you know, I'll rail against stuff like that because I don't – I just don't feel as if, uh, you, you, you know, some of this is, is, is fair or based on things that matter. Uh, and where you come from does not matter. It's what you do when you get there. Uh, and we're going to find out. You know, some people don't like the fact Beamer took some FCS transfers or group of five transfers. We're going to find out how good they are. Okay. And we're going to find out, like, compared to Tennessee, who loaded up on the secondhand players from Power Five schools, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll compare those classes. I don't know whose is better, not right now. Uh, but I know enough not to sit there and praise Tennessee's and criticize Carolinas just because I've never heard of. Uh, a Carlin Splatel or a David Spalding or, a, you know, a Debo Williams or a Jason Brown or EJ Jenkins or, or somebody like that. I know enough to know not to discount it. See for yourself. See for yourself. Thank you, Joe Sports Caller. Love it when you chime in on Twitter. And that does it for at the Big Spur Pod questions. And that I help consulting mailbag. We've got more. Uh, Mark says, Proposes, he proposes a new name for the quarterback skeptics. I said quarterback Taliban the other day, and then the tragedy in Afghanistan took place. And uh, I felt weird using it, to be honest. 
Uh, so he says, how about quarterback mafia? That's probably good. Quarterback mafia. Uh, I'll go with that. Uh, Mark has another question and or another email in inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com in the I help consulting mailbag. He says, I know it's popular right now to hate on the must champ era altogether, not necessarily with you, but the fan base in general. And while the results were disappointing, he did set up the next coaching staff better than the previous two staffs. I agree with that from a talent standpoint. Uh, Cause those guys spur left. were not as talented and skilled as, and there weren't as many of them as what Muschamp left. Uh, I think what Spurrier left that maybe people didn't realize because the Gamecocks went three and nine in 2015 uh, was those guys that were in that program, you know, start, you know, Sky Moore, Bryson Allen Williams, Hayden Hurst, Chris Lamonts, Debo Samuel. Um, those guys had kind of more of a winning attitude. Uh, and I've talked about that being a concern for this team. And, you know, ever since Beamer was hired, I've said, you know, they, they got to heal the locker room. There's issues, all that. Um, and you look at when Muschamp first got to Carolina, uh, and, and people crap all over this, but but they need to – I mean, it, it, reality again is reality. You know, uh, they did double the win total and win six. They get to a bowl his first year. And then he won nine. Uh, in 2017. Now, uh, those teams, the 2017 team on offense, especially uh, becoming an abomination against really good teams, uh, not knowing how to call play. I, that was on that was on Roper because they had obviously had a lot of good talent um, in 2017. He still won nine, uh, and the the guys Spurrier left behind were were big parts of those teams. You know, starters and. They played their butts off, and, uh, you know, what happened happened. Um, and, and then gradually, you know, the the, the groups lost more of those guys and uh, ended up um, ended up losing a lot. And, and so from a mental standpoint, even though 2015 was tough on everybody with Spurrier hanging it up and, the, you know, the Sean Elliott uh, – six game run, which that um, they were very competitive, you know, and, and lost the Citadel obviously, but uh, the other games are very competitive after he took over, you know, that team fought once the transition happened. And I think there were a lot of fighters that Spurrier left behind, uh, not like the fighters Holtz left behind, no pun intended, but um, that the kind of served as like, some of the you know mentally tough uh, backbones of those teams, and I'll just say it like that. But you, you're you're right, correct, absolutely, uh, Mark. That uh, as far as overall talent, uh, he did set up the coaching staff better. I mean, he you know uh, you got to give Ray Tanner and uh, Ken and Cindy Long uh, credit for this for the new ops building. Uh, but Will Muschamp was right there. You know, uh, every step of the way, it happened under his watch. And, you know, he kind of expressed the need for it. And so I think that, uh, you know, did he leave it as better than he found it? And here's my opinion. I think he did. I think he left it better than he found it in a lot of ways. The It's hard 
you know, for fans to, to wrap their head around it. Uh, and it's because in an all SEC year last year, two and eight is an ugly, ugly mark. Uh, but that's that was really a four and eight, five and seven football team because that that football team, especially at the start of the year, you know, probably would have beaten an East Carolina. Uh, you know, you can, we can the, you can debate from now until the end of eternity, you know, if they'd have beaten Coastal or not. But in the first game, I think they would have. Uh, you know, I got into it. I uh, got into a little debate on the message board about this and. Uh, you know, Coastal was – can't you just admit Coastal was better? Sure, they were better at the end of last year uh, and probably most of the season. In an opening game, you know, when before South Carolina knew they were crappy and before Coastal knew they were great at Williams-Brice Stadium, I think South Carolina would have won. And, and I'll say this again, if not, the Mike Bobo era would have been 11 games. You know, so so so, so – and then you look at the roster defects and the fact they're playing with 40 guys, 45 guys at the end and look at the players that were playing, you know, it really was kind of a different type of season. I'm not excusing it. I do think uh, when you give up 159 points in three games and you're trending poorly, uh, i.e. you were four and eight, then you're two and five and there's no end in sight. You need to be fired and they need a new coach. And 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 I, I don't have any qualms with the change. In fact, I thought, you know, just because I always said Muschamp was not a popular hire, as long as he was keeping it above water, uh, even, go, even going seven and six, there were going to be people that griped and complained, but you still have that foundation and you, you still have that. You're keeping it afloat. You're not sinking. Four and eight is sinking. And quite frankly, there was no excuse for it. You know, quite frankly, coaching, uh, and 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 there's a lot of debate about what cost them the North Carolina game, and uh, you know, the offense was not stellar that day. Uh, Jake Bentley missed a pass at the end, could have won the game. But I, I don't, I don't give a flip who you are. Your your defense in the fourth quarter of a season opening game with a true freshman at quarterback on the other side of the field and a team that didn't know how to win yet with an offensive coordinator that you shut down in the fourth quarter of the previous year when he's at Ole Miss, so you know what he's going to do, giving up two 100-yard drives is inexcusable, especially when you have the defensive talent Carolina had uh, and you have the – I mean, yeah, yeah, Javon Kinlaw on that team, DJ Wanham on that team, J.C. Horn on that team, Izzy McQuamu was on that team. I mean, you had a lot of players. A lot of – Jamie Robinson was on that team as a true freshman – you know, Kobe Smith. I mean, you had a lot of players. And to lose that game is inexcusable. The offensive game plan alone, uh, you, you know, look, Ryan Helensky, you know, people people love the legend of Ryan Helensky, right, because he did something in a bad blowout loss to Alabama but and, and threw a long pass against Georgia. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I take exception to some of these people that put him on a pedestal and then, you know, guys that actually accomplished something at South Carolina, uh, like Jake Bentley, they sit there and trash it. But that's okay. That's not what this debate is about. Um, you know, so Helensky in the Missouri game, he scored two touchdowns for the other team. The first one was on a weird freaking call. Uh, the second one, South Carolina was inside the five and they turned it over. 
Um, you know, but two things on both those plays, neither one of those plays should have been called. You know, Helensky obviously was off that game. Wasn't as accurate as he was against Bama. They just kept driving back, throwing, driving back, throwing, driving back and throwing. And then by the time you get to the fourth quarter at that point, guys, it's a 24, 14 game. So even if you have to kick it, okay. And you got Rico Dowdle and Tyson Williams over there. I mean, even if you have to kick it, it's still 24-17. The defense was playing well at that point. You know, you get the ball back and you try again, uh, only down a touchdown. And instead, you just basically end the game. Ryan Holinsky should have never been given the option to throw that football. You know, so there's two losses. App State, you know, South Carolina's defense shut down their offense. And Eli Drinkwitz. Bad offensive game plan. So, so there's three wins right there. You know, uh, that weren't just fluke fluke losses. You know, they weren't just like, oh well, you know, fluke loss. We, uh, you know, they blocked a kick at the end. No, they weren't. They they were like based on tangibly bad decisions. You know, made by the coaches. I'm not. I'm the players. You know still could get blamed for it. So it was time to make a, make a move at that point. But, you know, this notion that, gosh, you know, that this is 1999 and there's no talent and there's injuries and all this other stuff, or that it's, you know, even 05 or 2016 is preposterous, you know, and some of these same people, you know, if you're not a four or five star guy, they, 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 they will literally boo, you know, sit in front of their computer and boo you. Uh, and you look on the roster, and you know, South Carolina almost their whole defensive line except two guys. The one's Aaron Sterling. Um, <laughs> you know, four or five star guys. You know, the, the offensive line, same way. The running backs, the same way. Uh, and yes, there are some question marks, uh, but but there's more answers than question marks, or at least 50 50. And they have a chance. So, you know, and and somebody's like, that's unfair to Beamer because, no, you know, if he goes four and eight, he goes four and eight. And they improve on the field, fine. You know, I'm not going to sit there. I'm not sitting there saying they have the talent to win the SEC East. I think they have the talent to perform at the minimum standard of this program, which has been, you know, six, seven wins at a bowl trip every year, even in the down year. That's a down year. Or that's a baseline year. Continuing on Mark's question, he said, you mentioned the facilities upgrades. He's like, without those five years, maybe we don't end up with the right coach at the right time. And Shane Beamer, Beamer has injected new life into the program. And while that's not a guarantee of success, a step in the right direction. I can't wait to see what the future holds. Um, Well, it could hire Shane in 2015. Uh, I wrote two articles in 2015, making a case for coaches. I did not write any articles campaigning for coaches this time one was for will muschamp one was for shane beamer ironically those were the next two coaches uh, at south carolina so uh we'll see right coach at right time i do know that there's much more positive energy in the building there's guys there's way more positive energy uh in the football building than there was uh and and way more in that building than uh on the message board and it was kind of the reverse last year with COVID and sort of the the death march practices and, and all that, the long preseason. 
you know, guys weren't all fired up about going and playing uh, or enthusiastic, but, you know, things have got back to normal this year and Beamer and his staff have done a good job uh, with the mental aspect of it. Okay. Keith said, I heard you wanted more questions. So I'm here to save the day. Two questions, not directly related to the Gamecocks, but can you explain the history of the national championship in football and why there are claimed national championships? When do we start having an official national champion? Um, and then number two for next year's recruiting class, 2023, are there a good amount of local high star recruits for Beamer and company to get to show they can reel in the big fish like must jam? Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't count out the big fish this year. If you're talking about in state, it sets up better for the Gamecocks next year. Cause you know, not everybody's in Greenville County. Not everybody's a receiver, but, um, the, the state is deeper in 2023 as far as the history of the national championship goes. Okay. So the NCAA does not recognize football national champions. They don't stage a national championship. It's independent. Uh, and it always has been. So, so what I'm pulp, you know, media used to vote on it. Uh, and then everybody kind of decided at the end of the day, the associated press was the best one. Uh, but they also had UPI, uh, and that's what caused some split titles, like in 1990, Georgia Tech, you know, split with Colorado. That's a shame because I like both teams and both programs. But this just shows you sometimes how the media doesn't really want to look at reality. Um, you know, so Colorado lost their first two football games, right, in, in 1991. Uh, and I know the the ACC, the ACC was weak, and you know, it was uh, or is weak, or, or what, however you want to put it, right? And Georgia Tech with Bobby Ross and Sean Jones and those guys, and actually, no, I, I, let me take that back. A little revisionist history there. I, I was just gonna. All right, I know the ACC is weak now. How about that? But then, you know, you had a Virginia team ranked number one in the country. You had Clemson, who was really good in 1990. Um, who was Clemson was coming off a great season in 89. 90 was the first year under Ken Hatfield up there. Uh, Florida State was not in the league yet, but Virginia was number one. Georgia Tech went up and knocked them off. They beat Clemson. So, Colorado played Tennessee – uh, the Johnny Majors, Tennessee, and it was a tie in a kickoff classic, uh, and then beat Stanford and then came to the University of Illinois and lost by a point, right? Okay. Um, later that year at Missouri, the Buffaloes got five downs to beat the Tigers. Uh, then they got on a roll, went through, ended up winning at Nebraska. They beat Oklahoma at home, uh, who was a top 25 team. They went on the road to Nebraska and won by 15. Uh, and then they beat Notre Dame by a point in the bowl. And so, you know, they were on a they were nine one and one, finished a 10, 10 one and one and finished eleven one and one, right? And they got voted number one in the country. So, so here's the thing. Um, uh, you look at Georgia Tech, they played the Gamecocks that year, 
the Bobby, the Gamecocks were 25th in the country when they played them. Uh, won by three touchdowns. They, they beat Clemson by two points. They did have a tie with North Carolina at Chapel, but they won the rest of their games. You know, beat Virginia Tech, the Frank Beamer, early Beamer years, beat Georgia. Uh, their bowl matchup was not a top five team like Notre Dame. It was a Nebraska team that apparently uh, that was in the top five. When Colorado beat them in Lincoln, they got a lot of credit. Buffalo's got a lot of credit for that. And Tech stomped them 45-21. And in those days, the Citrus Bowl was the ACC tie-in. Uh, it was, a you know, that was the, the tie-in. The ACC wasn't tied in the orange or anything like that. Uh, so Tech had to go to the Citrus Bowl. And um, <laughs> the UPI voted for Tech. Uh, Colorado was a good story. Good storyline and all that good stuff that year. And they finally beat Notre Dame in the bowl and got the monkey off their back in that capacity. Bill McCartney was a coach. Everybody liked it. But look, man, I uh, back then going undefeated was all that mattered, right? Because BYU was number one in 84. Uh, and, and so you have a team when you evaluate their body of work because there was no playoff that lost a game tied a game and should have lost another game, but got five downs to win. There's no way in hell they should have topped Georgia tech for the national title that year. But so, so, all right. So they split them with UPI uh, and AP. And then you have the bowl Alliance, which the Rose bowl didn't want to be a part of where all the, all the other leagues got together besides the big 10 and pac 12 and 98. Uh, was the first year of the BCS, which included the Pac-12 and Big Ten. Uh, and then in 2014, you had the college football playoff. All of those are, are independent of the NCAA, and they'll continue to be. Um, but the reason you have split national titles and claim national titles from the 30s is anybody that had a poll, because uh, you know teams didn't really get together and play each other. You, you, you would, in some years, they, they named the national champion before the bowl games. Uh, and stuff like that. So that's why you have certain schools claiming it. I, you know, UCF claiming theirs a couple of years ago was moronic, in my opinion, uh, publicity stunt. But going back to the 30s, you know, you didn't have a chance to go, tra- you know, take a train, like say you're Michigan and, you know, the other undefeated team is, uh, you know, Georgia you didn't always have the chance to go play them because, you know, the, the big 10 pack 12 was always in the Rose bowl. Uh, and, and so they voted differently back then. Nice questions, Keith. I really, really appreciate those. And you con- contributing. Uh, Michael says, Hey, JC, thanks for the work you do. I currently live in Oklahoma. It's nice to get tons of Gamecock news from you while I work. My question is which home game do you think would be the best one to go to? Currently got two tickets to the Florida game because I think it would be a great game. It could be an upset for the Cox. Would love to know your opinion, Michael. Uh, Florida's always really fun to go to. Gosh, I've, how many Carolina-Florida games, Williams-Brice have I been to over the years? I think I went, shoot, gosh, I was there in 05. I was there in 07. No, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to 95. I was there in 95. I was there in 99. I was there in 2001. Uh, I was there in 05. I was there in 07. I was there in 09. Did I get, I did not go 2011. 
I watched it on CBS. I moved to Nashville at that point. Drove down from Nashville in 2013. Was back in Greenville in 2015 and went that game. Did not go 2017. Did not go 2019. Uh, Florida, though, brings a pretty good crowd up. Uh, it's always an entertaining game. Um, most of the time it's a day game, too. Sometimes it's at night. But uh, that that's a perfect one to go to if you want. Uh, maybe a runner-up, the Auburn game, November 20th, I think it's going to be a pretty good home game as well. Uh, the Kentucky game, I'm actually going to uh, probably head down for that. And um, I'm looking forward to that one too because that's the SEC home opener. And finally, Seth says, hey, JC, how can I find a listen to the new kickoff show with you and JB and Goldwater? Thanks for the podcast and all you do. Go to the JB and Goldwater YouTube page. They're going to stream it there, or you can get on Twitter at JB and Goldwater, and we'll be streaming it there as well. Uh, that's at 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, 12 Central, If uh, for our friends like in Oklahoma that are in the Central Time Zone. All right, thanks to iHelp Consulting for sponsoring the iHelp Consulting mailbag, and I wanted to get to that. Now it is time for Prediction Thursday. The weekly Gamecock score prediction here is brought to you by Cindy Searfoss with Coldwell Banker Kane Real Estate. Cindy's married to a diehard Gamecock fan who's also a coach at my high school alma mater. Really like him. Uh, she's been in the upstate for over 35 years and would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. It's a seller's market, buyer's market. You know, real estate gets crazy. You need a professional. Uh, to get with you and guide you through the process and get the best deal for you either way. Uh, please, please, please tell JC, if you need a realtor, you're in the upstate, Greenville, Spartanburg, uh, tell him JC sent you. Tell her JC sent you. You can contact her 864-414-5271 or email uh, Cindy at C. Searfoss. That's S-E-A. F-O-S-S, C-S-E-A-F-O-S-S at cbcane.com. That's C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. Uh, and she can hook you up. Located, her office is located in downtown. It's a beautiful, sparkle city, downtown Spartanburg. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, I encourage each and every one of you, uh, if you need a realtor, go, go check it out. Realtor. Realtor, I guess is how you say that. Uh, it's Cindy Searfoss, and we certainly appreciate her sponsorship of the weekly Gamecock score prediction here on Prediction Thursday. Okay, Eastern Illinois is coming in, right? Proud program. Uh, Mike Shanahan, quarterback there, and uh, was the offensive coordinator when they won the 1978 Division II National Championship. We know Tony Romo played there. That's kind of something people talk about. Uh Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo is a product of EIU. Uh, Syracuse head coach and uh, one-time Clemson Tiger killer Dino Babers uh, coached at Eastern Illinois. Uh, got to start there, went to Bowling Green, then went to Cuse. Uh, you go back to that 1978 national title team, uh, again on the Division II level, uh, and an interesting sort of uh, – Piece of trivia here, Pope Cobb uh, from Clover, running back from Clover, South Carolina, Clover High School. My good friend Brian Lane's the head coach at Clover now, and they're on their way back. 
Uh, he was the 1976 Shrine Bowl of the Carolinas MVP for South Carolina. Uh, he was the running back on that national championship team. Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. He's on the Mount Rushmore uh, of that program. 5,042 career yards. Uh, probably the mo- one of the most decorated players in that program's history, part of a national championship team. Uh, Sean Payton, the New Orleans Saints head coach, was a quarterback at Eastern um, at one point. Uh, but getting back to Pope Cobb, he tragically died at the age of 32 in Clover in a car accident in 1990. Uh, but he's a legendary player up there. Uh, so this is a proud program that's fallen on hard times. Uh, after Babers left, uh, uh, Kim Cameron had a bad 27 and 30, probably not a great hire. Did no better than seven and five. The program eroded. Adam Cushing was hired from Northwestern. Uh, he had been at Northwestern 15 years under Randy Walker and Pat Fitzgerald, so he knows a lot about good coaching. Uh, has not gone well so far. He's two and 17, but you know the one and 11 start, and then you go 0 and five during the COVID spring season. You come back, uh, or one and five. I'm sorry, one and five during the COVID mark. Uh, and then they came back with a loss last week to Indiana State where they competed, folks. Uh, they had a couple turnovers early. Uh, Otto Coons is their freshman quarterback. He's mobile, not all that accurate, but mobile, engineered a 19-play, 76-yard fourth-quarter drive uh, that brought the game within 24-21 late and a 26-21 loss to Larry Bird's alma mater, Indiana State. And uh, play ran that, – now that that drive ran 10 minutes, 20 seconds off the clock. It's kind of like a Gamecocks at Florida drive last year at the end of the game. Uh, but Adam Cushing, their coach, said they look better. Uh, you got a receiver, Tyler Ringwood, five catches for 116 yards. He's a transfer from Charlotte, the 49ers. Hilton head product, Tyler Hamilton, scored a touchdown for them last week on a, on a pitch or reverse. Uh, he's another, uh, he's one of two South Carolina kids on the roster, Gardner Webb transfer and Gaffney product. Kobe Rogers is a defensive back for them. Um, you know, but Tyler Hamilton's a fast player as well. Originally signed with Purdue. And as we all know, Hilton head loves to encourage their players to head to the Midwest for whatever reason. Uh, Eastern Illinois is located in Charleston, Illinois. I, I think, you know, the player to watch, uh, on, Defense, uh, Johnson, the linebacker, is a stud uh, for that level. Uh, And they're a team that's been through a lot. They're a team that, you know, looking at their game last week, you could tell they're a little shaky, didn't really – you know, we talked about knowing how to win. You know, probably, you know, don't know really how to win yet, but they showed good signs. So, I'm – you know, the second straight road game too. Uh, I – and I may have been at fault with this because I started talking about Eastern Illinois struggling and being bad and all that good stuff uh, way back when, but just because of their spring season and it didn't go well and they'd fallen on some hard times as a program, won 11 the year before, picked at the bottom of the Ohio Valley Conference, I mean, on and on and on and on and on these negative things about them. And again, you know, like I mentioned at the top, this is the first time Carolina's opened with an FCS opponent uh, since 1987. It's the first time a head coach has opened with an FCS opponent, period. Typically, these games are snoozers and they blow away. 
but I think people have taken it and run with it because <laughs> uh, of the Charleston Southern game in 2019. Uh, and an assistant coach told me that's the worst team in all of, you know, all his years coaching college football. Uh, that's the worst team. That may have been the worst team in the modern era Carolina's played. Okay. That's the bottom line with that. And so I've seen a lot of comparisons to that game. Well, well, here's the difference. First and foremost, you know, Charleston Southern was at the very beginning of a building process. Number two, they had to go and practice in Charlotte all week because of a hurricane down there on the coast. They, you know, it's a noon kickoff. They, you know, it just, you know, there was a lot going on with them. Plus, I don't, I don't think Coach Charleston Southern is as good as the coach at uh, Eastern Illinois. And I may have to eat my words about that one day. Um, but, you know, they didn't look well. They were just that, – that was not a surprise. Now, what is relevant about that game is you, know, you look at the running game stats and Carolina was just – they were running the ball late. Like Kevin Harris, six carries for 147 yards and two touchdowns. That's pretty serious numbers. And, you know, and Carolina does in a blowout type situation have those types of backs where – I mean, you know, you're out there trying to get Rashad Amos carries in the fourth quarter. He's liable to break one because he's good. By the way, I don't know why people keep asking about Rashad Amos being on the team or not. Um, there's just four good guys in front of him. I mean, you keep giving, you know, so, so like I said, you put him out there in crunch time, uh, that's it. Receivers, same way, tight ends, same way. So it could get out of hand. I just – I don't think it's fair – in an opener to put that kind of standard uh, to where, okay, people are going to start talk, you know, uh, the people that don't believe that this football team's any better than two wins again this year, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be happy no matter what. So ignore those guys, but I don't want it to get, you know, the people that say, okay, four and eight with a good hard fault deal is fine with me. I, yeah, I want people to get down. Uh, if it's closer than 72 to 10, that's insane. I don't think it's going to be 72 to 10. It's an opening game. You remember I told you the Gamecocks last opened with a FCS opponent in 1987? All right. You know who that was? That was Appalachian State. And that was uh, 1AA Appalachian State, coached by one Sparky Woods. The 1987 Gamecocks had tons of talent. Sterling Sharp, Ryan Bethay, Todd Ellis. Uh, Brad Edwards, Norman Floyd, all that. I've gone through that team before. It's one of the one of the more talented teams in program history. Well, it was ten to three at halftime. Final was twenty four to three. It's kind of a grinded out thing. Harold Green got a lot of carries that game and stuff. You know, nobody panicked. The next weekend, they played Western Carolina and won thirty one to six. Nobody panicked. Um. Now, we didn't have message boards and social media and all that, so uh, nobody panicked that I talked to, uh, but you know, maybe I didn't have enough of a sample size to form a consensus. But uh, bottom line is this. Bottom line is this. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that if, they get, if Carolina wins by one point, uh, that things are, oh, it's fine. It's just an opener. They're going to win by you take a one point win right now. I'm, I'm not going to insult your intelligence like that. Uh, if it's that close, there are serious problems on this football team, you know? Um, now look, 
let's say you're up 24 to 10. They score a garbage touchdown, make it closer than it looks. That, that's a different deal. Uh, but, but look, uh, nobody needs to panic uh, if, if it's not 72 to 10. Um, now, do I hope it's 72 to 10? Yes. Uh, and, and that's just because of – that's not even a team thing. That, that's because of the players. Because if it's 72, 73 to 10 – that means a lot of guys have gotten in the end zone. And that's a special thing for these guys that have worked their asses off all spring, all summer, have a renewed attitude, a renewed confidence. That's just going to be huge, you know, if it happens. So I hope it does. But I don't think it will. I, I just, you know, I, I think an opening game, it really has nothing to do with Zeb Nolan either, you know, because if they had had Luke Doty, I expect some mistakes. It's a new offense. It's a new defense. It's new special team schemes. It's a new coaching staff. It's a first game. Uh, the team you're playing played a game last week, and I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if that even matters. Uh, but there's going to be some first game jitters, first game mistakes. Um, you just got to limit them, uh, and that's a big key for me for the game is eliminate uh, mistakes. You know, turnovers are going to be huge. Uh, settling down is going to be huge. And, and my, what I say that is, uh, you know, the talk around Columbia has been all week that uh, how, how much are they going to win by? Uh, and if you're out there, when teams go out there and try to blow other teams out, they end up screwing up. Uh, you, you go out there to play your best. You can worry about the scoreboard later. Um, and so I think the game guys need to settle in. There's a lot of new players there. Settle in, play their game, uh, play physical, um, and, and also mix it up uh, on both sides. I, you know, like there's two schools of thought with it. Mixing it up, giving everybody a lot of things to put on tape so they have to over-prepare or just being vanilla so they don't know what's coming. And I don't know. I would imagine it's going to be more mix it up, give them a lot to think about. Because um, when you're setting things up, you know, for example, uh, it's, it, I mean, it's not as easy. And I've seen some people, the consensus is, just run it and run it and run it and don't give them don't give them anything. Well, that's fine. Will Muschamp used to do that. How'd that work out? You know, a lot of coaches used to do that, but you know, Steve Spurrier, like, shoot, we're just gonna run our offense. Uh, how'd that work out? You know, come on, think about this for a second. Uh, and the reason is this: it's because you know they're gonna watch the film. Let's say you run like a jet sweep. Okay, uh, you, you go, you you put. Uh, Joiner in motion. Nolan hands in the ball, all fright tackle behind Dylan Wanham, 70 yards. Okay. So Georgia, East Carolina, whoever, they they have it on tape. Like, well, we got to watch that when Joiner comes in motion. Well, Joiner comes in motion. They shift to stop it, right? But McDowell's over there in the slot, like he was the previous thing where he goes out there and blocks. Uh, and Jordan just flips it to McDowell as a double reverse that they, they have no idea is coming, and he's gone. Uh, that, that's just kind of to break it down in the very uh, simplistic type of terms so you could set things up. Uh, and credit to Hill McGranahan on the message board for pointing that out today in the thread uh, because that, that, that made me with that whole talking point. So I think mix it up, enjoy the moment, do not turn it over, do not make mistakes, play physical, Gamecocks have a big advantage here. Um, and, 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 you know, if you're the crowd, you know, congratulations that, that you even showed up. It's great to be back probably. 
65,000 is a heck of a lot more than 10 or 15 that was there last year. Uh, but mix it up, you know, uh, as well, just like the offense, you know, mix it up and, uh, you know, get into some of the new things, enjoy the new stadium, all that. That's the crowd detail. Once again, Cindy Searfoss, 864-414-5271, Spartanburg Base, Caldwell Banker, Kane Real Estate. Please, you know, sponsorship of the prediction, please, 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 if you need somebody, you're in my hometown of the Berg or you're in Greenville or Landrum or Chesney or Gaffney, wherever, give Cindy a, a call because you'll be supporting this podcast and also supporting a great Gamecock family. Um, all right, time for the prediction, time to let it roll. Uh, like I said, I after watching Eastern Illinois, evaluating some of their personnel, reading up on them, looking at what the Gamecocks are doing, what they're bringing to the table, not not willing to say that that 73 to 10 is going to happen. Like I said, hope it does. Hope it does. Magical for the players if it does. Uh, I do think South Carolina will win. Uh, I think that you're looking at a game where it's not probably not ever going to be in doubt, but you know, it's not going to be a masterpiece and not, not going to be like the Charleston Southern game a couple of years ago. And, you know, there, there may be a drive that, you know, doesn't go well or a turnover or whatever, you know, Eastern Illinois may hit a pass or something. And, uh, you know, typical football things. Uh, but I do think the game costs will win. I, you know, you, you look at it, the record for points scored in an opener is 56. Uh, I think, you know, the Gamecocks will score some points, but maybe a couple of touchdowns, three touchdowns short of that. I'm thinking, you know, I, I was going to say 35 to 10, uh, but after thinking it through, I was thinking back to this game I went to back in 03 or 02, I think 03. It was Demetrius Summers coming out party. Uh, or, or Demetrius Summers not his coming out party. That was at Tennessee, but against UAB the following week. You know, never game was never in doubt. Gamecocks won 42 to 10. Uh, you know, wasn't 70, but 42 to 10. That's my prediction. Um, and I think one of the running backs, sort of like Demetrius Summers, was really, really good uh, in, in for the first time in a home game at Carolina. Uh, I think at least one of the running backs Carolina has uh, on the roster uh, is going to have that same kind of experience uh, on Saturday night. All right, there's my prediction. South Carolina 42, Eastern Illinois 10, Shane Beamer era. We'll get off to a good win uh, and a good start. Uh, Shane will become the third straight, uh, and I'm not, not talking about interims here. If you included the interims – yeah, Bobo lost his opener to Missouri. But Sean Elliott won his first game. Uh, so let's not include the interims on that because that ruins my stat. Uh, but Spurrier won his first. Will Muschamp won his first. Uh, both those games were on Thursday nights. I, it it would have been awesome, you know, had the SEC Network put the Gamecocks in Eastern Illinois on instead of, uh, you know, Bowling Green may be worse than Eastern Illinois. I'm just saying. I know they're a Mac team and all that, but but they they are actually terrible. Uh, you know, maybe or maybe not they'll cover the thirty five, but forty two to ten, uh, South Carolina. Um, 
Yeah, and I'm recording this because you may not be listening to this until tomorrow. If you if you, you may know the Tennessee score already. Clemson and Georgia. I hate to say it. Uh, for those, I mean, and you know, I, I've read a lot about from Gamecock fans, Twitter and everywhere else. They don't really know who to pull against. I mean, I, I think they don't even care. I think so much if Clemson wins the game. I've seen a lot of people going, I, I don't like either of them, but you know, Tyler Davis uh, for Clemson is probably going to be out. That's their best defensive tackle. He's a stud, by the way, ranked kind of in the same area. I, well, I don't, I don't remember exactly where he should have been. I remember thinking he should have been higher. Like a five, like I thought he was five-star good uh, when Clemson got him out of Apopka, Florida. But um, he's probably out with the COVID issue. And um, Georgia fans and, and, and – this was ridiculous. They, 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 uh, they started rumors about everybody on Clemson's roster, which was a, a little bit freaking ridiculous. Um, yeah. And the guy that evaluated this kid, you know, so he was like 137th in the class of 2019. Um, the 12th ranked D tackle in the country. Uh, Pickens was actually number one. Ismail Shopshire, who was at Bama, was number five. He's terrible. Uh, going on down. This guy got moved to offensive line. These rankings were – they sucked this year. Um, my point of all of it is, though, this. I, I think, uh, you know, Jacquez Sorrells, uh, the TCU sound of the game comes was 14th. Uh, there were better – uh, you know, you know, the top three were good Pickens, Leal, and Trevon Walker. Uh, Leal's really coming to his own at AM. Pickens and Walker, I think, will have big years. Um, anyway, there weren't 11 better D tackles in that class. Uh, Clemson's out, I mean, but he's out. That's a big deal, I think. I don't think it's a game changer unless. Somehow, Clemson or Georgia is able to line up and power and run through uh, whoever replaces him. And I think it's that kid from Missouri with the funny last name. Uh, I, I just don't have any faith in in Georgia's offense um, to go out there against a defense that's got twenty guys that have started back uh, and score a bunch of points. At the same time, you know, I, I know Clemson's got skill talent. I'm not so sure Clemson's going to go up and down the field on Georgia either. Uh, we may be looking at an old school 1980s 13 to 10 kind of game. I think it'll be a little more than that. Uh, I think it's a defensive game. Clemson has game breakers to break it open uh, late. And I think Clemson wins 28 to three in that one. Um, you know, UCLA and LSU. Everybody's talking about LSU is this, that, and the other. Big game for Chip Kelly. LSU sometimes will get it. They go out to the West Coast sometimes and play games. Uh, I think they went to Washington a few years ago, Arizona State a few years ago. Rarely do they go blow anybody out. Um, I think the Tigers have a lot going for them this year to have a resurgent year. Maybe it's 10 and 2. Maybe it's a, another playoff run. Um, but I think UCLA, after watching the Bruins last week against Hawaii, that 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 looks like a different team under Chip Kelly. 
Uh, I don't think they have the talent to stay with LSU for four quarters. Uh, so I think LSU breaks it open uh, Saturday night, like and wins 41 to 30. I'm going to go with that there. And and that's it. You know, dude. people ask me all the time, who do I like covering the spread? Don't ever listen to me on that. Uh, I bat about 500 when it comes to the spread because, you know, I just do. Folks, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, no podcast tomorrow. We'll have reaction ASAP, probably not Saturday night. Uh, maybe not Sunday either. It's Labor Day weekend. So, uh, but we'll have some reaction. I'll react on the big spur and certainly right here. Uh, and you can look forward to starting Tuesday, getting ready for East Carolina, uh, all kinds of stuff uh, right here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Please be sure to check me out tomorrow at 1 p.m. Uh, the JB and Goldwater uh, show has launching another show, uh, the Big Gamecock Preview, and I'm going to be on it. JB, Darren, uh, and former Gamecock Michael Wando Flint. So it should be a great time. You can stream it YouTube, Twitter, and it'll be in podcast format later as well. All right, been a great week, folks. Uh, I certainly have enjoyed it. Certainly love the fact that game day is upon us here in a couple of days. Uh, enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment. Stay safe uh, and have a happy Labor Day uh, in case I don't talk to you before then. Uh, and, uh, you know, enjoy the moment with the Gamecocks. It's, it's what it's all about. J.C. Sherbert signing off. <laughs>